0: Hey everybody, this is Tim Chavez from Faith Matters. We recently read a wonderful book by S. Michael Wilcox called What Seek Ye? How the Questions of Jesus Lead Us to Him. In each chapter of the book, Brother Wilcox explores a question Jesus asked in the scriptures. One in particular stood out to us. It was the question, why weepest thou? And in the corresponding chapter, Brother Wilcox explores the role that trials play in our lives. He sat down with us to talk about that chapter, and shared what he's learned as he's gone through his own adversities, including the deeply felt loss of his wife, Laurie. To give you a little more background on Brother Wilcox, he received his PhD from the University of Colorado and taught for many years at the LDS Institute of Religion adjacent to the University of Utah. He has spoken to packed crowds at BYU Education Week and has hosted tours to the Holy Land, to China, church history sites, and many others. He's written several books, and he and his late wife, Lari are the parents of five children. We felt honored to share this time with Brother Wilcox, and we hope you get as much out of this conversation as we did.
1: When we finished the book the question that really stuck with both of us um was why weepest thou and so that's why we wanted to bring you on and just really dive into this chapter about trials and suffering and and this question that that jesus asked why weepest thou so i wonder if just to start would you give us a little bit of context from your own life you write so personally and and with such um you know feeling and deep experience about this question so maybe could you uh, just just tell us a little bit, a bit about your own experience with, with trials and suffering and this question, Why Weep Is Thou?
2: Well, I don't think any of us are going to get through life without some. Uh, part of our problem in our modern world uh, occasionally is we have a belief that through uh, social changes and adaptations and science, we won't have to suffer anymore. Yeah. And yeah. that becomes an <laughs> expectation that we will conquer it. Uh, we've done a lot there but none of us i think are going to get through life without a few tears and that question is asked it's uh, one of my favorite i have one i love more uh, Uh of all the questions of jesus but that's Uh certainly one of my favorite why weepest thou was given to mary magdalene at the tomb mary to me represents all the pain of the world in that moment all the pain seems to be in that one woman um and now even the body of the Savior has gone. Mm. And that very gentle, uh, why weepest thou? Uh, all yeah. of our lives, people weep. Uh, for me, I guess that question became the most personal when Laurie died. My wife died, I had just retired. We were gonna travel the world. I was mm. gonna, I told her, I bought her a map. I said, "We're gonna, I'm gonna show you the world, Laurie. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, directing tours, and two months later, she had cancer, and by the end of the year, she had passed away. It was an incurable oh, wow. brain tumor. And there's a lot of tears. There's a lot of uh, a lot of weeping. Uh, we're hurt by other people. Uh, life just gives us uh, a lot of a lot of joy, but it also gives us uh, pain. That's one of the things we're down here to learn. On the road to Emmaus, he also has a question when they're talking about their confusion and they're sad. This is Mm -hmm. resurrection morning. They don't know he's resurrected. And Jesus comes and he walks with them. They don't realize that. That's a great comfort, that story. And he asks them again, why are you sad? And that gives them an opportunity to do a certain kind of Prayer that I call the pouring out prayer. Mm.
3: Uh,
2: some phrases and words in the church are used so much that they don't have a lot of power anymore. You know, we we kill them. Okay, <laughs> That's so we've true. killed tender mercies. <laughs> yeah, we're killing ministering. We've pretty much killed atonement. You know, it's a beautiful word, but we just use it for all the time, everything, mm-hmm. and we kill the word prayer. So I try and find different things to replace those where they have meaning and pouring out is one of those. And, mm. wow. and so he says to them, uh, where well, they say, don't you know what's happened? Don't you know? And sometimes in our lives we say to God, don't you know, Lord? I say, don't you know my lorry's gone? My, my life, I'm lost. I'm lost in living now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, what things, what things have happened and we pour out mm-hmm. and we just tell him and one pouring out is often not enough. When you weep, you pour out and you pour out and you pour out until that moment comes when the savior says, Mary, I'm going back to why weepest thou? Mm-hmm. And I love the next, the, the three words, she turned herself. And all of us, sooner or later, turn ourselves from the empty tomb, which represent for us, a lot of times, that means a good thing. It's mm-hmm. empty. Yeah. But in my life, in your life, we have our empty tombs, things we look into, and there's nothing there but darkness, the empty tomb. Oh. She turned from it to the living Christ. And in that one brief moment of time, uh, you have the great, 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 turning from sorrow to joy, from uh, despair to peace, celebratory joy, uh, unexpected joy. Uh, the apostles, when they first see Jesus, believed not for joy. So great. Oh. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished and all of us because he said it we'll be able to say it we'll we'll all be able to say of our own pain whatever it is it is finished i'll see Laurie again jesus will say michael and i'll turn myself and she'll be there and it'll be over
1: it'll
0: be over you um you talk in the book about when Laurie died many well-intentioned people said you know god's called her home and or you know or similar things and you you push back against a little bit the idea that God plays such an active role in giving us trials and and tribulations could you could you talk a little bit about that idea
2: yeah I don't think God is a great sender of trials
0: Mm.
2: Uh, he doesn't need to I think he would say I don't need to do that life will do that and the image that I would use for that is Jesus in the boat during the storm on the Sea of Galilee, and I like to remind people, where is he? He's not above the heavens sending the storm. Mm. He's in the boat with you. And I felt all through that experience of going through those months of uh, watching her slowly die. that God wasn't sending this to us. You know, my son, a very faithful, believing young man, you know, married and has his own children. But he said, why is God taking my mother? And I said, Kay, God's not taking your mother. Cancer's taking your mother. Why does she have to hurt so bad? Why does God let her hurt so bad? I said, God's not hurting your mother. The cancer's hurting your mother. He's in the boat with us. Mm -hmm. Uh, We think it's God's job to take away the pain. And because He sometimes does, you know, that's the life of the Savior. He goes around healing. Right. We kind of want that ourselves. And sometimes He does. But I think God's job, His purpose, is not to take away the problems. Not to send them. He doesn't need to send them. Life sends them. We send them to each other. Yeah. His job is to make us brave. His Mm -hmm. job is to give us courage. His job is to give us hope. His job is to get us through it. And I never felt through that experience that he was outside. He was in my boat with me while the wind blew around me. I never. I know people get mad at him. I understand that completely. Um, we, I believe we need to change the, the paradigm of he's sending these things. Yeah. He's always on our side. I used to say, Lord, can't we have Hezekiah time? <laughs> Hezekiah got 15 more years, remember? Can't we have, how about five, two? Yeah. just a little more time and and I never I always felt God saying I'm I'm sorry Mike this is happening to you and Laurie mm. I wish you could have your 20 years together I wish you could take her all over the world like you want to I wish she could see those places and enjoy her grandchildren but I can't stop the cancer for everybody I can't stop every automobile accident mm-hmm. and every disease and I Um, But I will be with you, I will see you through it, I will make you brave, and I promise you, and this is the most important promise, I think, I will bring good out of it. Mm. And that truth is in every book of Scripture, it's such an important one, no matter what happens to us, whether we bring it on ourselves, life gives it, nature gives it. God's promises. I'll make it good. I'll make it good. Yeah And if I had to pick one good from this is the knowledge that the best day of my life was the day she married me and grief has Put my love for Laurie so deep in my heart. You will never pull it out ever Mm -hmm. Uh, Grief is love's shadow. (laughs) So, uh, I would increase the grief to increase the love. Wow. Uh, I I would. uh, Good comes from all negatives and they end. It is finished. Jesus' most beautiful words from the cross. Yeah. It is finished. You'll say it. I'll say it. Well, I'll say it one day.
1: Yeah. So, I. I'm thinking about too long of an
2: answer. I'm sorry. No. no, that was
1: such a beautiful answer. I really, really love that. I'm just thinking about for people who are in the middle of this, and I've I've always loved what you say about the fourth watch. That you know, we we worship a fourth watch God, and I just wonder if you could talk about you know when you're in the third watch or or you are in the fourth watch and it and you're praying for a miracle, you want a miracle where you know your the the loved one you're losing is not lost yet. You know what your with this with this perspective, what do what does faith look like? Does it look like having, you know, fasting and praying and gathering and asking for a miracle? Or, or does it at some point transition to acceptance? Or is it always acceptance?
2: Well, I think it's, uh, it's trust. Uh, going through certain difficulties in life has helped me have a different perspective on Gethsemane and Jesus' prayer in gethsemane uh, if it be possible father let this cup pass from me isn't that nice that he of the most important moment of history when everything humming a balance if he could get out of it he was <laughs> yeah. praying that he yeah. would so i guess yeah. it's all right for me to <laughs> to want lord i don't want to go through this mm-hmm. uh, So I I, I go to Gethsemane. uh, That uh, that prayer, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Most of my life, I saw that as the great act of obedience. I think that's the way we think it. Mm -hmm. Now I say it's the great act of trust that Jesus was saying. I don't. You know, we always say he's omniscient. I don't want to get into doctrinal things here. You know, (laughs) we write we left brain religion too much. Religion belongs in the right brain. Quit left braining it. Yeah. Uh, So uh, we can say he's omniscient. Okay. Uh, But uh, I think he was saying, I don't know all that you know, Father. I may not see it all. I'm in a bad spot here. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And if it's possible, I don't want to drain this cup. Nevertheless, thy will be done. I trust you. I trust you the way we all say it. One day we'll get to ask God a lot of questions. And of his answers, we're all going to say, Amen. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I wish I'd known that down there on earth, Lord. But right now, I trust. Uh, There's a place in Philippians where Paul was facing his death. The trial was going to come up. He didn't know if he was going to be beheaded by the Romans, condemned, or be set free. You know, they didn't have jail time in those days. It was Mm -hmm. one or the other. And he wrestles in his mind with what would be the better of the two outcomes. And he writes to the Philippians, I don't know what I would choose. I don't know what I would choose. To be with Christ is far better. But to be with you is more needful. And so I think I'm going to stay. I read that and I thought, Father in heaven, I don't have the wisdom to know the difference between far better and more needful. Hmm. I don't have the... I think maybe Jesus is wrestling with far betters and more needfuls also, and the father the Father knows the far betters and the more needfuls and so i would i didn't know what to pray for if it's far better that she be with you, Lord, if it's far better that she go for reasons I don't know, or whatever trial we're facing, if it's far better, I go through this.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Eve said, it is better for us to pass through sorrow. Now, she said that before she would passed through it. Mm-hmm. But I love the phrase, pass through.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's uh, We get through it. It's a, You go through it. And so I said, Father in Heaven, I don't know the far betters and the more needfuls. You do. If it's far better for Laurie to be with you, to pass, I know you'll make everything good for us all. I do trust you in that. Then you, you bring her home. Yeah. I can give you lots of reasons that I think it's more needful that she stay. And if it's more needful for her, stay then that's what we pray for if it's more needful for us to go through things and learn things Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what to pray for and the Lord answered that prayer he said Mike you pray that Laurie draws all the joy out of life she can and then she passes quickly and so that became my prayer and that's what she did we traveled we did all we could we even did Disneyland. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I love that part, yeah.
2: And uh, and then within just a few weeks, it just, she just went downhill on a slide and, and, and was gone. Wow. Well, I hope that answers some of that. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Could, yeah. Could we talk about, yeah. maybe for a moment, a different type of trial, which is the type that is sort of brought on by others and this is getting sort of into what philosophy might call the problem of the problem of evil yeah. like how could a how could a loving especially when you get into really you know dark stuff uh, you know the atrocities that you hear about even either on an individual or a community level children's suffering exactly. is the big one yeah most it's a perfect example it's just like how could and this is where i think a lot of people run into real faith challenges not just in our religion but in uh, all but faithful people across the world right yeah. is how could a how could a loving god which is a central tenet of most religions allow something like a child suffering yeah. so deeply to to happen do you have thoughts it's on this? it's a bigger problem in western religions than eastern religions uh,
3: mm.
2: definitely um you know i have wrestled with that like we all do and there are all kinds of answers and uh And you can get fractional answers, what I call. If there was a single answer that anybody could give that would put the question to rest, we would have had it. We wouldn't be asking it anymore. Right. Right. Yep. So that says to me, no matter how much I've worked with it, I'm never going to be satisfied. I'm not going to be satisfied. Maybe one element of an answer will make you feel a little better. Maybe another, somebody else feel a little better, another, uh, you know, uh, free agency never satisfies me. Uh, And so, uh, you know, deeply thinking about it one day, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why do such horrible things happen? Uh, I just had this insight as it's if the Lord was saying, you've wrestled with this a long time, Mike. Let me give you a thought. And this was a thought. You are asking the wrong question. Now, I had to really kind of chew on that for a while. You are asking the wrong question. What's the right question, Laura? And again, that inspired softly, gently. The right question is, there is suffering in the world. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. That really changed my perspective. What are you going to do about it? God's dignity will probably take care of itself. And we sometimes feel we need to defend him with all kinds of answers about it. And I think he can take care of himself. And like I say, I have absolute trust. One day I'm going to ask him that question. He's going to lay it all out and I'll say amen. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, my major question is, what am I going to do about it? Uh, And and you get, here's Moses worrying about the children of Israel. Uh, Very telling phrase when it says, when he came to age, he went out uh, to visit his brethren and he looked upon their burdens. I think that changed Moses. When we go out and we look upon the burdens of our fellow men, it changes it. Mm-hmm. It creates something in us. And so now he's at the burning bush and the Lord, and he's, I think he's saying, Lord, hey, what are you, you going to do about all your children suffering down there in bondage?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the Lord says, I have surely seen them. I have heard their cries by reason of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. I will deliver them. And I can hear Moses say, good, it's about time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Two verses later, what does he say? Come now, I will send you. And that is, and you will deliver. And Moses says, who am I? You know. And if you look at the history of the world, that is generally the way God deals with all those questions. I don't know why he allows it. Like I say, if there was an answer, we'd have it. Uh, there isn't an answer. The question is, what am I going to do about well. it? And so uh, Moses goes. Uh, Buddhism arises out of that question. I'll just give you one last thought on this one. Um, The main problem in Eastern and Western religions is different. The main problem that religion is trying to help people grapple with in life in Western religion is sin. Sin is the main problem. And the answer that Jesus comes to give is forgiveness, mercy. What is the answer to a human infliction of pain on one another? And, uh, you know, today's world, our answer is outrage, cancellation, uh, <laughs> right. you know, there's, there's no, no forgiveness, no mercy, no understanding of we're all human, we're all making mistakes. Let's, uh, let's do what we can to improve them, but, but a little, little forgiveness, a little mm-hmm. kindness. But forgiveness is the answer that Western religion gives to human uh, human life. In Eastern religions, uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, Chinese wisdom, uh, but especially Buddhism, the problem is suffering. That's the problem, which you mm-hmm. and I can understand. It's just mm-hmm. that our problem in is 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 another sin. Mm-hmm. But their main problem is suffering. The Buddha's whole search was How do I end it? And you know to make a long answer short uh, the answer is compassion Selflessness That's the answer Uh, You forget yourself And you live in compassion Mm. You quit worrying about all of your own hurts and pains and you uh, you look around and once again, history is filled with magnificent people who said, I don't know why God lets it happen. I wish he didn't. But I will not be part of the problem.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I will be part of the solution. That was Dostoevsky's answer, great Russian novel, The Brothers Karamazov. And he will wrench wrench your heart as he states the problem with the suffering of children. Difficult to read. He wanted to answer that question. And he said, I've got to pose it strong enough that people won't think I've diminished it. And so he really, really asks it. And the stories of children suffering break your heart. In fact, he felt he stated it so hard and strong that he couldn't answer it. But the answer he comes up with essentially is compassion, selflessness. I refuse to be part of the problem. I will not be part of the problem. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I will be part of the solution. So, Whenever I get to where I get a little mad at God, Mm -hmm. I can get mad at God. Who's running things up there? I try to remember, uh, what are you going to do about it, Mike? And then in as much as you can, you try to alleviate suffering.
1: Yeah. So just a couple of days after we planned this interview on this topic with you, my parents were in a plane crash and they both broke their backs about a week ago, a week from Saturday. Yeah, it's just, it's been a long week. and. It was so interesting, though, because this was all so fresh on our minds when this happened. And I kept thinking of the when you talk about Job and how his friends sat with him for seven days in silence because they could see his suffering or see his grief. And we've watched that this week that friends from every era of their life have surfaced and sat with them, you know, in emotionally, you know, sometimes it's a message. Some people have shown up and just like been at the house and physically sat with them. But it's been such a lesson in how to show compassion and I think I I um when I see suffering get really busy and for a lot of times I think that's for me like I feel really good about feeling like I'm helping and it's been so beautiful to watch how these friends have been able to recognize what the real need was which I think for a lot of days was not it was not physical it was not necessarily food it was just love it was just their their suffering being witnessed by someone so would you yeah. would you expand on Job? I've never read that story that way. And and after the plane crash, I went back and read those verses again, and it was such a beautiful recipe for care in suffering.
2: You know, if there is an answer that I feel a little bit comfortable with to the big question you're asked: why is there pain and suffering in the world? Why does good God allow it? Um, the answer would be there isn't anything quite like the negatives of life to create the positives of life. Wow! So you are feeling in your heart, kindness, service, selflessness, compassion, as you watch other people hurt. Yeah. And uh, that's a good thing. We're here to learn to be God-like and what is God? He is compassionate, merciful, kind, serviceable, selfless. And what are the experiences in your life or in the lives of others that are best calculated to create those feelings and emotions. And they're usually the broken back kinds of situations. Uh, Job was an attempt, it's in called the wisdom literature. So how much of the story is literal, we don't have to worry about. Um, there is a little set story that introduces it, but it's written to allow a dialogue as to why God allows suffering and pain in the world. Mm-hmm. I don't think Lucifer pays house calls on God, okay. <laughs> but it's a set story. But Lucifer probably does say to God, he's, uh, part of his you know, name is the accuser,
3: mm-hmm.
2: is Lord They only love you when things are going good. That's when they love you. And have faith in you and trust you and believe in you and say good things. But if you let problems come, they will curse you to your face. Mm -hmm. And one of the beautiful things for me about Job is God's answer. And I think he says it of your parents, you, hopefully me, maybe I got through mine. Um, I have more faith in my children. I don't think they'll stop believing in me and loving me and trusting me, no matter what happens to them. So you do the worst you can. I believe they will be strong. You know, after Liberty Jail and jo- you know at the end of Joseph Smith's life, he says, "Deep water is what I'm want to swim in. My whole life has been one trial from beginning to end." Mm-hmm. Um, you can bury me in the deepest pit in Nova Scotia and pile the Rocky Mountains on top of me uh, Joseph said and I will exercise faith and get out on top it's a nice thing to know about yourself as he said that you're stronger than all the powers of earth and hell that you can believe and trust and have faith
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and hold on as C.S. Lewis said When every, he's talking about Jesus on the cross, because Jesus went there. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: When every evidence of God and his love is gone from your world. And a person still cries out, I believe and I love. uh, That, that is a a great triumph. Sometimes all we can do is, uh, you know, Job's friends Job should have ended in the first couple chapters. You know, don't get into all the discussions. Just be quiet, friends.
1: <laughs> You're right.
2: They did what was right at the beginning. They mm-hmm. sat there. There's another and there's another more beautiful one. I call it Terry and Watch. So here is Jesus in Gethsemane, his great moment of agony. Gethsemane and the cross. And what does he do? He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he takes all the the 11 now and some others. Mark was there, for instance. And he, he takes Peter, James, and John. Three friends. Deeper into the Garden. A stone's cast away, we read. And he says... My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. I've sometimes thought about people and suicide. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't think of a better, a better place to counsel somebody who's wrestling with those depths mm-hmm. than to take him to Gethsemane with Jesus. He was sore amazed, Mark says. Uh, being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Sometimes God lets us be in an agony because it draws us to pray more earnestly. Mm. But what does he need? What does he need? That's another thing I'm thinking about. You know, I wrote I wrote the book on uh, a book, not the Abba. <laughs> the <book. laughs> I wrote Abba on the questions of Jesus. I'm pondering, I don't know if I'll ever write it, but I'm I'm going through the New Testament now with the question, what were the needs of Jesus? What did he need? And uh, there he is in Gethsemane, and he says to Peter, James, and John, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And that is sometimes the best thing you can possibly do for other people. I am grateful when I went through Laurie's passing. So many people. They never said anything that was going to take the pain away. You can't take the pain away.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I don't know that I want it away. I don't know that I want it gone now. Would the loss of the pain mean the loss of the love? They just tarried and watched and didn't go to sleep. Well. And we, and sometimes I pray, Father in heaven, if there's somebody near me, a stone's cast away, who is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Don't let me go to sleep. That's one of those questions Jesus asked that was so impactful to me. Sleepest thou? I, I don't want to be asleep.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And we know how important that was. Here he is; he's talking to his Father. He's got God.
3: Yeah. We always tell people,
2: pray Whoa. God, pour out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: An angel comes to strengthen him. I didn't get an angel come to strengthen me. You probably have it in yours. And after that first prayer of, nevertheless, not my will be done. Now, what does he need? The angel? God? No, he needs Peter, James and John. He needs a human voice, a human face, a human touch. He needs the tarrying, watching friends. Oh. And so he goes. And they're asleep. Luke, always so gracious. Luke is always so gracious. Luke understood human weakness. Says they slept for sorrow. Oh. Doesn't that soften it? Really softens it. You're asleep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> slept for sorrow. Yeah. Um, and he wakes them. And asks them, you know, Peter, couldn't, could you watch with me one hour? Then he goes back and he prays again. Father, if it be not possible, except I drink the cup, thy will be done. Now what does he need? He needs those three again. Yeah. So a second time he goes out for the human face, the human touch, the tearing watching. So, when we're in deep needs, you know, I I say to people, when you're in deep needs, when you're in, uh, I don't know that any of us ever have our Gethsemanes. We might have our Liberty Jails. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure we ever have Gethsemanes. But when we get near it, find somebody to tarry and watch with you. And if you are the tarrying, watching person, It probably isn't so important what you say as that you're there. I used to feel I always needed to give the answers Mm -hmm. as though I could reason myself out of pain or talk somebody else out of pain. Pain is pain. Sometimes they just need someone to put their arms around them and weep with them. That's it. Just weep with them.
0: And what, what would you okay. say about those who, so I love the idea that there is sort of an, you know, potentially an inner circle of Terry Watchers, you know, that are um, those you need most in your in your moment of trial. I often find myself, and that happens on occasion where I, I think I recognize that I'm part of that inner circle. But more often I've, I find myself sort of on the on the margins, you know, of someone that's going through something deep and I want to offer support. But I think it's clear that I'm not the Terry Watcher in that in that right. scenario.
1: The stone's throw yeah. In the,
0: yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And you're Matthew and James and the right. others at the gate yeah. uh, of Gethsemane. Yeah. Exactly. And I and I feel like maybe all I have to offer is something to say, and I I know that I can't take away their pain with my words, and I and I don't want to offer them a, a platitude and say oh God's ordained this or whatever right. it is, and so I'm I'm curious, what what would you recommend that those on the outside do? Is is there something that you can or should say to offer some some something you know or is there something you can or should do you know if you're if you're not you're part the of it if you're at the gate yeah. yeah well we always pray you know um
2: and those are things that that are it's hard to give a general answer to because mm-hmm. uh you know I it's easier to give a general answer to uh, those of stones cast away than those at the mm-hmm. gate yeah um because we don't know what they they prayed you know, um, I think you, I wish I had a great, deep, wonderful answer for that. Uh, I think you try and be available. You understand. Um, you stay sensitive to the spirit that there may be a chance. Uh, when Larry died, I'll just give maybe an example of somebody at the gate. Uh, um which actually turned out to be the best thing. And I just say this for, for people at the gate. Uh, you you may not have anything to do other than to be empathetic. Um, maybe the blessing is going to be in your heart. Mm-hmm. So I went to Egypt after Larry died. I went to Antarctica first. I, I went. I, I've been traveling wow. for 10 years. I... I Sometimes I think I'm trying to stay one step away from <laughs> from grief. You do have to stay engaged in life, and a very good friend of ours, uh, but he's Egyptian. Met me at the Egyptian Israeli border to talk to me about Lari, and for a while he just let me talk about her.
3: Mm.
2: You know, one of the best questions you can ask somebody. We say, how are you doing? Let me just add one word to that. How are you doing today? Mm-hmm. It's a big difference. Um, you may see them, uh, especially Americans, we're just, I'm fine. I'm mm-hmm. doing okay.
0: Yeah.
2: So when you ask that question, how are you doing? Do, how are you doing today? And uh, we talked about Laurie. Sometimes it's helpful if it's somebody who's passed tell me about her. You know, tell me about your son who. Let's tell me just you let him talk about him.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, so he uh, talked about Laurie for half an hour. I talked about her. He talked about her. It's just kind of relieving to talk about her. And sometimes things that you wouldn't say to a very my, one of my children, I might say to you. And then he mm. said, Hassan was the, he said, Mike. You know, for us Muslims, when you talk lovingly of the dead, you lift them to higher and higher places in paradise." Oh. That was the sweetest thing anybody ever said. That was the most comforting yeah. thing anybody ever said. It was not said by one of the stone's throw Terrian watchers. It was said by somebody at the gate uh, who I think was moved by the Lord to say something that I needed at the time. So you try to stay open and, uh, and listen. And there may come something into your heart or your experience that that uh, will be exactly what they need mm-hmm. um, at that time. I think one thing you help uh, people do, I'm not sure it's something you say to people going through trials when they're going through them. Uh, we always have to go by the spirit and, and hope that, that we'll, we'll know how to deal with each individual case, but. I I try to get people to the point where they are looking for what I call, I got a couple of names for them. Mm -hmm. I call them attic moments. Um, When you have deep loss in life, uh, deep, deep struggles, you look for the attic moments. And if I had uh, Anne Frank's diary, That's where I get it. Here she is, uh, you know, Nazi-controlled the Netherlands in Amsterdam. And up in that room, they've been in there for months and months, you know, hiding. Uh, Life is not pleasant. Eventually, of course, Anne Frank dies. So what does she have in the attic? You can visit that. I've been there. It's it's like going to the temple for me to go into that attic.
3: Mm. Wow.
2: And you see the little window in the attic and she could see the sky and the clouds passing over and the branches of a tree. That's what she could see. And this 14, you know, this, this teenage girl writes this beautiful statement of affirmation that as she says, as long as I have this, I, how can I be unhappy? As long as I can see this tiny, tiny little bit of nature, nature is healing, how can I be unhappy? Uh, and so she'd go up in the attic a lot, look, see a cloud pass by, see this, she talks about the branches glistening in the rain. Uh, I say, this is a mature girl, so I, in my life, and, We look for what I call the attic moments, and you you know, every single day, there'll be a dozen of them. So I don't have in my life the big joy, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: the grand happiness, which for me is Laurie. Mm -hmm. For Latter-day Saints, it's love, it's family, it's relationships. I don't think the celestial kingdom is a place. I think the celestial kingdom is people. Yes, it's relationships. It's not an environment. It's it's relationships. Mm-hmm. So I don't have that now. Um, the big center of the painting, happiness. But there are all kinds of attic moments, little happinesses, all around. And we look for those, and they come all the time. You know, I, I discovered this is going to seem silly. Mm-hmm. I discovered last week that Costco sells <laughs> Borzan cheese. <laughs> I haven't had Borzan cheese since my mission in France. Oh. <laughs> now, God created taste buds <laughs> for Borzan cheese. <laughs> And just to, to put that <laughs> on a little piece of bread, yeah. hadn't tasted it for fifty years, and it took me back to France and this this marvelous taste. Well, that's awesome. yeah. and I thought, whoa! As long as I feel like Anne in her attic, feel mm-hmm. like saying, as long as I have poor and <laughs> I'll be okay yeah. Know? Yeah. and there's lots so I think we, we look for the attic moments. Tolstoy yeah. writes in war and Peace of Pierre who's searching for happiness. everything wrong goes in his life. it's, it's terrible. Yeah. he's in a shed uh, retreating with Napoleon's army. it's he's uh, suffering and they're starving to death they're freezing. you can't get in a worse position. And a peasant, he, he pulls out a potato, cuts it in half, and gives him half of it. And he's ravishing hungry, and he begins to eat it. And, and the peasant says, no, 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 no! not like that. Takes out a little packet of paper and sprinkles a little bit of salt, a few spices <laughs> on. he says, now, eat it slow and enjoy it. And in War and Peace, that is one of the, that is the, Transition moment for this lead character Pierre because he realizes that in the worst of situations, there's always the bite of potato. Mm-hmm. There's always the view from the attic, you know.
1: Yeah, which are it seems like is really a gift of suffering that you know you're not. It's like you're not even capable of appreciating something so small until until you've suffered so deeply. And it reminds me of the. I think it's actually in your new book in holding on is it where you talk about the ibex goats
2: i do i love
1: that Mm -hmm. metaphor and I, i i kept thinking about that with trials that you know maybe a gift of suffering or maybe the way suffering is sometimes alchemized is that you are high enough for those nutrients that they you know they have you have to be high enough to to um get what you need you know and 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 so you can appreciate the these things that you may have missed before, but also there's real growth there, right? You know, that that you maybe were not going to have otherwise without without this pain. So maybe before we end, will you just talk about the Ibex goats and what they are and how they climb and how, how yeah, you kind of see that um, as a metaphor?
2: You know, you can go on YouTube. YouTube is a great thing. We've been doing <laughs> I showed the kids it, yesterday. It is yeah,
1: unreal. It's
2: crazy. Uh, I was in Israel. In Israel, they have Ibex and... They go on real tiny ledges in the Judean wilderness, which is where the idea comes from. Uh, Mm -hmm. I teach Habakkuk. Habakkuk is going through a faith crisis. He's saying, God, where are you? Mm -hmm. That's how it all starts. How come you make men like fishes? How come the big eat the little? God's answer to him, again, even the scriptural answers are never sufficient, is the Mm -hmm. just will live by faith. You're just going to have to trust me and have Mm -hmm. faith. One day I'll answer it all and you'll say amen, which is Job's answer. Right. So he comes to the conclusion, well, God then give me hind's feet so I can walk on my high places. High places, the holy, spiritual, the high. So whether you think of mountain goats in the Rocky Mountains, <clears throat> the ibex in Israel. Sometimes our path of life narrows, 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 and we are gonna fall off. Mm-hmm. We'll lose our faith in God, in the church, in one another, and and they're just so narrow. Mm-hmm. And so we praise for those, these the ibex on the dam you're talking about in Italy or in Israel or the Rocky Mountain go, they have special hooves and they can hold on to a ledge an inch wide on a almost 90 degree vertical thing. Mm-hmm. If you, if you Google Cingino dam, you don't even have to put the name in just put <laughs> Ibix Italian dam. You'll, you'll get all kinds of, you can see them and they'll walk out on it to lick the the nutrients the salts and things that seep through the dam mm-hmm. uh, and they hang and they hang on so sometimes i i have to say to myself lord habakkuk's prayer give me hinds feet just give me hinds feet there's not any answers i don't know the whys. uh Maybe I don't have anybody that's watching and tearing with me. I'm just desperate. Mm -hmm. I'm exceeding sorrowful unto death. And my path is only a half an inch wide, and I'm on a vertical cliff. Mm -hmm. Give me Habakkuk's hind's feet for the high places. I love all those H's, Mm -hmm. that (laughs) alliteration. Hines high just give me those feet so I'll hold on because I know from experience the path widens again Uh, things change when Laurie first died time crawled it'd be five months and I'd think it's only been five months how am I ever going to live decades without her mm-hmm. but time is a healer we say that and mm-hmm. it accelerates mm. it does accelerate so it doesn't move so slowly now for me so i for anybody out there who is wrestling with whatever trial life has given you okay not that God's given you, Uh, we say God has a plan for us. Uh, He has a plan for us, multiple, and he'll get us through it. Um, But his plan for us is that we have a happy ending. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I don't know that he's in all the details. The plan is, uh, it's gonna end happy. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: It's gonna end happy. So don't fall off. Hang on, because uh, as Joseph Smith says, "What do we hear in the gospel we've received?" That's a great question. And then he answers it, a voice of gladness. Hmm. So oh. uh, we're all going to get our Mary Martha, or our Mary Jesus moment when Jesus says, "Michael," and we turn. And uh it'll be over.
0: Yeah. Could I could I ask one more thing? Sure. Is that of course. okay? I um I really loved how you closed the chapter. Uh it sort of the chapter Why Why Weepest Thou talking about sort of the power of weeping itself. You shared a, a I'm not sure what to call it, a parable or a, a myth about the um about the first tears that entered oh, the world. Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah would you a, mind sharing that? Sure, yeah. It's a it's a Jewish story.
2: Uh, The Jewish people have a little bit of experience with suffering, as a people. And they've dealt with it in a number of ways. One is humor. Um, Jewish humor is wonderful, and also tenderness. Uh, Jewish spirituality is, uh, there's a lot of tenderness in it. So they tell a story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. and they're being expelled, and they feel so bad. And God feels so bad for them. It's not, get out, <laughs> you know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: He, he's loving, he knows what's gonna happen to them, and he says to them, and I'm paraphrasing this, this story, um, dear children, the world in which you go into is, is going to be harsh and hard, and there's gonna be bitter, hard, difficult times for you. But look, I have a gift for you. And he holds his hand out, and there's a little tiny pearl in it, a little tiny clear pearl. And he says, look. And they say, what is it? And he says, it's a tear. And whenever life burdens you, whenever you don't think you can bear it, these tears will fall from your eyes and you will be relieved and Adam and Eve weep over the loss of Eden and are comforted and pass the gift of weeping on. What's the shortest verse in the scriptures? Jesus. We wept. all have it memorized. Right. <laughs> Jesus wept. Uh, I think, like I said, I've been thinking about his needs. He needed to weep and he wept freely and there is good in in weeping and in hope one last one if you want to edit it out you can (laughs) Um, what is the most since we're talking about Jewish people and they're dealing with, with suffering what is the single most famous popular, the greatest Hit song attached to a movie in all Hollywood history.
3: I don't know. I don't know. What? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Wizard of Oz. Yeah. It was written, the music is a Jewish lullaby. Really? By a man named uh, Harold Arlen. <clears throat> Second generation Jew from what were called the shtetls, the, the little villages. Uh, of uh, Russia and Poland and mm-hmm. second-generation Jew escaping the pogroms. The lyrics were written by another Jewish second-generation. His parents had also immigrated to America <clears throat> named Yip Harberk. And they wrote the lyrics. It was the biggest contract. They got to write the lyrics for Wizard of Oz, which was Mm the big, big thing in the (laughs) 40s. It's going to win the Academy Award. Uh, The producers of the movie were saying, we don't need that. It's not even in the book. What's this little happy, this little American Kansas girl singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow? Um, But they insisted and if you think of the Jewish people and all they suffered and What it meant for them to come here and To get out of a lot of that The lyrics and I'll hopefully I can repeat them to you. It's hard for me to do without weeping the lyrics of summer over the rainbow is the marriage of Jewish yearning for a life without suffering Married to American optimism and mm-hmm. hope So you think about these boys Somewhere over the rainbow, way up high There's a land that I learned of Once in a lullaby wow. Somewhere over the rainbow, skies are blue And the dreams that you dream dare to dream really do come true. Some day I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me, where troubles melt like lemon drops away above the chimney tops. That's where you'll find me. Somewhere over the rainbow, bluebirds fly. Birds fly over the rainbow. Why then oh why can't I? Matthew put that in the voice of a Jewish boy who's come out of a history of immense suffering. There's something deeply beautiful about that song. I can't mm-hmm. hear it without the tears God's gift to us all and realizing that I think God sings that to all of us. It's our yearning. It's our hope. And, you know, for Yip Harburg, the land over the rainbow was America.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, we have our problems. For all of us, the land over the rainbow um, is real. That's where Larry is. I can't look at a rainbow and not think of her and say, I know that's where she is, Lord. And uh, one day I'll be there. We'll be in the land where uh, Troubles melt like lemon drops, but in the meantime, we learn, we learn Mm -hmm. it is better for us pass through sorrow. We'll learn from it. Wonderful lessons and you'll be full of compassion. Yeah, And I hopefully will and kindness and mercy and God will say, well done. I know it was hard. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah. Thank you so much. That that was amazing. You just feel like you've you've really you have insight from every perspective, you know.
2: Well thank you for letting me be yes. here. I'm sorry I talked too much. No, I it was do. perfect. No. I do have
0: we do so appreciate your wisdom and your <clears throat> love and your example. So thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for letting me come. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening, and of course, a huge thanks to S. Michael Wilcox for joining us. We would recommend the book What Seek Ye to anybody that has interest in hearing more of his insights. And as always, if Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get a chance, we'd love for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. It definitely helps get the word out about Faith Matters, and we really appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening, and as always, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.